Uh, as we get settled in, uh, let's go ahead. If you have your Bibles, you can open your Bible to Colossians chapter 3, where today uh, we're going to make the transition from the active putting off, or as Paul would say, put to death the old self. Uh, and today, in, in making that transition, we're going to begin to look at what it looks like to live out lives that proclaim the gospel by putting on uh, a variety of virtues of gospel living. So if you're with us last week, what Paul does is he lays out his argument. He's been laying out this argument as to why Christ is sufficient and that the lies of the false teachers should not be heeded. So he kind of did that in the first half of this letter over and over again. He's just laying out, this is who Christ is. This is why the gospel is sufficient. That's not uncommon for Paul. If you were with us uh, way, way, way back when, when we first launched our Sunday gathering, the first book that we walked through was Ephesians, right? It was Ephesians, and it was uh, this this picture that we see in Ephesians in the first three chapters. Uh, Paul is saying, gospel, 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 this is what the good news is. And then you see a transition from three to four that says, now this is how the implications of the good news work out in your life. He's doing the same thing here in Colossians. He said from the start, Jesus is sufficient and supreme, right? He is uh, He is fully God and fully man. He is the only one uh, who can bring hope and change lives. And He is the Lord over redemption. And what He's doing now, beginning in chapter 3, He's saying, hey, this is how this fleshes out. This is what this is to look like in your life. It's a call to see how the knowledge of who Christ is begins to work it out and work itself out in the life of every disciple. Because guess what? The, the gospel is not just a buzzword that, that we hold on to. We believe that the gospel changes everything about you from the inside out. And so you should, I believe that scriptures, you should look different. Not that you're looking different saves you, but because man, when God's grace transforms and takes your deadness and makes you alive, what happens is you begin to actually live. And it should affect the way you look. It should affect the way you speak. And man, it should be recognizable to the world around you. One of my favorite pastors to listen to uh, is a guy named J.D. Greer. The bells know him well. Uh, but JD, he always tells a story about, you know, if you get hit by, if I got hit by a Mack truck today and I walked in the building like 30 minutes late and I just said, okay, I'm here. Sorry. I got some scrapes and bruises, but I, you know, I got hit by a Mack truck, but I'm here. You would look at me like I'm crazy because if you get hit by a Mack truck, right? Like you're not walking in here. Okay. Like you're going to look different. Amen. You're going to look different. It is going to be uh man. It's going to be a mark of who you are and your living. Another story I tell y'all is when I went to Haiti for the first time, my prayer each day in Haiti was, God, when I get back home, I want people to see you on me. And then I got back to the States and everyone for like the first three or four days, they were like, man, you got a really nice tan. And I was like, I was mad, right? Like I would go to God in prayer like, God, that's not what I wanted. I didn't want a good, nice tan. I wanted people to see you on me. It was a few days later, I was walking around a square, and this guy walks up to me randomly and didn't know him. He said, hey, will you tell me how to get to heaven? And I was just like, yeah. And so I just started proclaiming the gospel to him, right? And I get done, and he said, well, I'm a Christian. I just wanted you to know I saw Jesus on your face. And I was like, oh, that's cool, awesome. Take like four steps, and I was like, wait a second, right? Like, But that should be it. Like, we should be praying prayers like, God, like, 
let people see you through me. Not that it would be just a facade. I wear, we're going to get into that in a moment. Or things that I put on. But it would be a life that I'd live. And so we saw three things last week. What well, Paul it begins in chapter 3 and he tells us three things. He says, first, seek Christ. Seek Him because He is enough. And guess what? Nothing else matters. Jesus is, as we've said throughout this, He is the answer. Next, he says, not only seek Him, set your mind upon Him. Because He changes lives. He is the one who brings hope. In the midst of chaos, in the midst of whatever circumstance, Jesus is the one we are to look to. We are to set our minds because Scripture says we are transformed by the renewing of what? The renewing of our minds. And then He says, He begins this thing that we walked through last week where He starts saying, hey, and then if you're going to do that, you've got to put to death certain things. He says, put to death or put off the old self. And he talks about uh, sexual sin and, and abusive attitudes and speech towards others. And we really got into the thick of that last week. I'm not going to spend any more time on it this week. If you want to, go listen to the sermon from last week. Uh, but he makes this call to put off or put to death those things. The things that you formerly walked in. No longer walk in them. Especially if you've been buried with Christ in his ba- the baptism of His death, you have now been raised to walk with Him. And so with that before us, let's look now at Colossians chapter 3. We're going to begin with the verse we ended with last week in verse 9 because I believe it leads into verses 10 and 11. So let's look at that now. Starting in verse 9, Paul says this, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And have put on the new self which is being renewed in, the, in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all in all. Alright, so again, let's remember that at the end of our time last week, we heard Paul call those in Colossae and us that he says, hey, don't lie to each other. Don't act like you're something. Don't proclaim you have no sin. Don't proclaim yourself to be sufficient in and of yourself and what you know aesthetically. Rather, what are you to do? You're to put off all these things by way of honest repentance, humble transparency. And in this honesty, we see at the beginning of verse 10 that it is not simply that we put off or put to death the old self. But we are to put on the new self that is being what? It's being renewed. You, through sanctification, are being made more and more into the image and likeness of the Creator. Into the image and likeness of Jesus. And so as we think about this, really what we're thinking about is the taking off of our old patterns, our old clothes, like our death clothes, and we are to put on something new. We are to put on what Christ has called us to put on, so that we might be made more into the image of Christ. See, the Gospel is this act as we, uh, man, continue to, uh, while we are saved from the penalty of sin for the believer in Christ, we are being saved from the, the, uh, the power of sin over our lives as we're made, as we submit to the Lordship of Jesus, as we walk in repentance and faith when we miss it. But it is a setting aside of the old self and saying, no, I'm going to walk differently. I'm going to live differently. 
And I love what Paul does in this moment, because just as specific as he was about what you need to take off, and today he's going to be just as pointed and specific about what you're to put on. Because I think Paul gets it, and he understands that, you know, uh, the way I thought about it, because I have kids, like, on a Saturday morning, we'll tell the kids, hey, go change out of your pajamas and get clothes on so you can go outside, right? And the key there is get clothes on, uh, because... If we're not careful, what will happen is what we realize is, hey, there's an action of you're putting off and you have to put something on if you're going to go outside, right? Like you can't just say, well, you know, pajamas are gone. I'm going, right? Like that, we stop them right there and say, no, there must be an act of putting on. But even in that, we have to get specific because what will happen with our children is it'll be the middle of summer and this happened the other day. I said, hey, go put on some clothes. And my youngest walks out and he's wearing like sweatpants, right? And if he could have reached, he may have had a, you know, uh, like he's liable to have a beanie on his head, you know. And I'm like, hey, no, you're not going to last long out there. It's called humidity and it's always present, okay? No breaks, where we live. And yeah, and so we have to go back to him and say, hey, no, no, no. While you put off those things, these, like, this, this is the clothing you're to put on. You see, our call, whether it's being parents, but I believe even Paul's call here and what he's calling uh, the church to and us to, and even as disciples, as we think about being the church and following after Jesus, man, our call is to direct and train whether it's our children or others, in the knowledge of what they are to wear, right? Which can, again, be difficult at times. Because some people just like, they just like wearing what they wear, right? It can get, it's just a little janky, and you're just like, and it happens on both sides, right? Like, sometimes, like, for me, like, and Haley, we were actually joking about this before we walked in, you know, like, I used to wear some things when I was younger, like I had a lot of phases where I wore things that I wouldn't wear now, you know? Uh, but also, like, sometimes, like, I go back and I look at my school pictures and I'm like, why, mom? Like, there's a lot of clothes in the closet. And even if there wasn't, there's probably something better than what I took a school picture in. Okay? Like, I don't understand why I had Garth Brooks, you know, just pasted across the chest. Some of you are like, oh, I love that, right? Uh, but like, that was it, you know? And I'm like, why would you do that? No, you're supposed to lead me correctly. And so it can be difficult. And what Paul is calling us to in the passage is because, and why he's being so specific and really entering in today, is because as we put to death the old self, we are to put on the garments of the gospel daily as we are renewed in the knowledge of our Creator. And so two things really quickly on that. First, something we have to realize, and I think uh, we just kind of get shocked by it. Guess what? The old self, the old self wants us to put it back on each and every day. Like you take it off and the old self the next day is like, hey, you should put on that anger again because it's nice. People listen to you. At least you think they do. That's the lie. You, you should put that on today. And, and, and what Paul says is, no, you put it off. Put it to death. Rather, put on Christ. It is this purposeful action of, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to submit to what Jesus called me to. But the old nature wants us to put on the old nature. Next, in putting on the new self, guess what? And what I love about the Scriptures, Paul doesn't leave us to guess. He doesn't leave us to guess. Rather, we are called to live as if we're actually alive. The things Paul calls us to put on today, man, they bring life. They bear fruit. 
We are being renewed. Remember, it's a process. It goes all the way back to verse 1 and 2, right? As we set our minds on things above, as we seek Christ, man, we have hope in who Jesus is. And all the while we know that we are hidden in Him. This call or this picture of being renewed more into the image of its Creator draws us all the way back to Genesis 1 where we see that we're made in the image of God. You see, in the in light of the Gospel, we are to live in the pattern of Christ. You see, while the first Adam failed and we carried that along with us, we are to look to Jesus who is the true and greater Adam that didn't fail. And we are to bear His image, putting off the old self and saying, no, I'm going to put on Christ. You see, what this means, what this is going to mean for us today is it really draws us to these virtues, but all these virtues are built on the foundation of what we would call, man, the kind of our ethic of Christianity, which is love. In Matthew 22, Jesus is asked the question, what's the greatest commandment? And he, he says, man, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And so, man, what we have to realize is if we're going to put things on, if we're going to really follow after that, if we're going to mark our lives and live our lives in light of what Jesus has called us to, I mean, again, he's the, we're going to get here in a second, He's the perfect one that fulfills all that. But then He says, hey, you live in light of what I've done then what we put on, which what I mean by that, how we live, how we respond, how we worship, and how we proclaim the Gospel matters immensely. And so what does this do? You see, this understanding of new life in the Gospel, what we see, what Paul says, he says, when you live like this, when you put off the old man and put on the new self, it, it actually, the gospel tears down the barriers that created division, even amongst those to proclaim to a higher level of understanding and knowledge. What Paul does is he breaks down, he says, look, it breaks down the racial division of Jew and Greek. It breaks down the social division of slave and free, the relational division. It breaks down the cultural divisions. And guess what? This confounds culture. Because I believe in, you know, while, while culture is great, and we want to have a gospel culture here, uh, man, while culture is great, at times, like, people create culture so they can divide themselves from others. And, and they use it as a way to hide and find identity in. And so that's why, I don't know if it's the same anymore, but there was this big buzzword a couple of years ago, you just got to find your tribe. No. You need to get involved in the local church. I'm getting ahead. Uh, Paul's. Um, but that's what the gospel, the gospel says. No, like we're going to break. It breaks all of those barriers down. And guess what? It confounds the culture, but also, and I believe, like as Paul's writing this, it presents a direct contradiction to the false teachers. Because the false teachers, they're also puffing themselves up and saying, well, we know more. We have more things in place so that we can be more spiritual than y'all are. And so that creates that division, right? So if you want to get over here, you've got to walk through and jump through all these hoops and these barriers. But that's not what the gospel does. 
And the reason we see that is what Paul says. He says, because Christ is all in all. Meaning that we are made one in Christ. You see, the Gospel is the great leveler of mankind. He is authority. And as authority, He permeates everything. Because guess what? He is making all things new. Dustin Binge shared something uh, on social media this week that I think makes this point well. He said, the cross of Christ is the epicenter of our equality. We are all sinners and we all need a Savior. And so, uh, in light of that, a question to re- just to reflect on is this. What barriers are you building against others who need to know Christ that Christ did not build against you, but instead tore down? Like, what barriers are you building against others who need to know Jesus that Christ did not build against you, but instead tore down? May we be barrier breakers in our gospel witness rather than barrier builders. So what Paul is going to do with the rest of our time today is call us really to put on three main things. He's going to call us to put on virtuous living. He's going to call us to put on communal living as the church. And then he's going to call us to purposeful living. And so let's begin with the call to put on virtuous living by reading verse 12. Paul says this, Put on them as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Okay, so in light of what we've seen and know about the person and work of Christ, we have the knowledge and understanding in Christ that we we are made new and in turn we're to live differently, are we not? And so if we are putting to death the old man, we must put on daily the new man that leads us to put on a variety of virtues and values that flow, again, from the ethic of loving God and loving others. And so this is what we begin to see laid out in verse 12. What we get here are a list of virtues that when looked at, really they're just the antithesis of the verses that we looked at last week. While not exhaustively, uh, while what we looked at last week said put off, Paul says, hey, this is the antithesis. This is what you should put on. Again, because if you're going to put off something, you have to put on something. And these are the things you should put on. I believe that really the entirety of chapter 3 is really a great litmus test for your life regarding what you're putting on. But another thing about this is the call is not simply to wear the marks. The call that Paul is presenting here is not simply to wear the labels and the cliche verbiage of Christianity. It is to live in and wear these things in how you actually live. Like it is not... That you walk around with a coffee cup that has some scripture that's probably taken out of context. Right? It's not simply, and again, like with all these things, like I'm, let me make sure, I'm not bashing all, like these things can be good. But it's not wearing the shirt that has the scripture on it or the saying, like, not today, Satan, if you're not putting off the old man, right? It's not like the bumper sticker faith. You know, where it it, it says something about Jesus, but in the driver's seat, you're telling people they're number one. You know? 
or you're driving in such a way that doesn't represent Jesus. Again, the heart is in view. One of my favorite stories in Acts is the story of the sons of Sceva, right? Like they go in and they've heard about Jesus and Paul and there's a guy that's demon-possessed and they go to him and they're like, hey, you come out and, you know, and, and, and by the authority of Paul and Jesus, we say come out and the demon looks at him and says, hey, look, Jesus I know, Paul I've heard of, but you, I don't know who you bros are. And then he, the, it says that the demon whips them and they run out naked, right? Like they lost the fight. Because it wasn't enough for them to just carry the label. They didn't know the one that the label was about. And the same holds true for us. It's not enough for you to just put on these labels if your life isn't matching up to the labels. Again, the heart is in view because out of, out of it life speaks and from it actions are produced. You see, before Paul even gets into the virtues listed, virtues listed, he begins by sharing once more identity statements about their position in Christ. And he uses three really descriptive statements. Again, what Paul is saying, hey, before we get into what you're called to do, you have to remember, because if, if you don't remember this and begin here, you will make all these things you're called to do be your God, and you will perform, and you will run after them, and they won't do what you think they'll do. You have to remember who you are first and foremost. You see, who we are clothes us in what we are to wear. And we are clothed in Christ's righteousness. And therefore, because we're clothed in Christ's righteousness, if you're following Jesus, that leads to righteous living. And so he begins by saying, chosen ones. So he, again, he's reinforcing the removal of the Jew-Greek barriers in the previous verse. He's saying you were chosen by the grace of God and given new life. Shared last week, Jonathan Edwards says, you don't bring anything to your salvation but the sin that made it needed. And yet God still, He says, no, I choose you. I, I place my love upon you. And then He says, hey, not on your second identity station, not only are you chosen ones in Christ, you are holy. Which means you are set apart for God Himself. Not so that you can carry around the coffee cup verse and have the bumper sticker and all the t-shirts but so that you might be used for the purpose of proclaiming the good news of the Gospel with your life and word and deed and making disciples. That's your purpose. That's what you've been set apart for. And lastly, he says you're beloved, which it's this picture of God saying, hey, in the midst of all this, man, the same thing he says to Jesus when Jesus comes out of the water, what does he say? This is my beloved son. Guess what? Jesus hasn't done anything yet. (laughs) He hasn't started. His ministry hasn't started yet. This is my beloved son. And guess what? He's well pleased. I think that's something for each of us. Maybe today you walk in and you're like, well, I don't really believe I'm a beloved son or I'm a beloved daughter. Man, if you're in Christ, He has placed His love upon you and you are loved dearly. And that should motivate you to then live differently. And so he lays those things out, and then the first thing he says, he says, because of who you are, chosen, holy, and beloved, he says, put on a heart of compassion. So the first virtue is that we put on a heart of compassion. I love how the KJV describes this word, because it says, bowels of mercy. Because it's, it's a describer that says that our hearts 
for others are to come from the depths of who we are. You see, in light of God's compassion towards us, we are to have compassionate hearts towards others that then leads to action. It's not enough to have a compassionate heart to say, yeah, that's real bad. But let's just turn the channel so I don't have to deal with it. Or I just need to get behind my privacy fence and close my garage door and lock, you know, lock it down tight. No, a compassionate heart has empathy that moves to action. It has understanding that moves to action. It has uh, this picture in Scriptures that we actually get into the mess and say, I'm going to rejoice with you when you rejoice and I'm going to weep with you when you weep. And in the midst of both of them, I'm going to point you to the good news of the Gospel. You see, the mark of the church, this was actually a mark of the church that went directly against the ancient world. Like these things we're going to talk about today, uh, man, I think even in our culture today, they're not high up on the list, right? But in Roman culture, what Paul is writing is this went to, they, they knew nothing of uh, having a heart of compassion. They were all about number one. And yet this was the way of living that marked actually the growth of the early church. If you've ever studied uh, man's stories about the early church, one of the things that sticks out over and over and over again is how they had compassionate hearts towards the least of these. There's stories that whenever plagues would hit, that everyone would run out of the city, but the Christians would run into the city to care for the sick and dying. And a lot of times it meant that they got sick and died. There were no orphanages the church started that. And in Roman culture, like, if you didn't like it, like, just get rid of it. But man, the church entered in and said, no, we'll take care of them. They cared for the widow. They cared for the poor. I love uh, one of the last uh, emperors uh, that they would term as non-Christian. Uh, he's, he's talking about his frustrations with the early Christians, and he says, look, one of the things they do is they don't, even, they don't just take care of their poor, they're caring for our poor as well, and we don't know what to do with that. Right? So they're saying, hey, you have need? Okay, let's meet it. They had a compassionate heart. They showed real compassion. You see, culture says survival of the fittest, but wait, may we be compassionate in a world that shows no real compassion. And he says, put on kindness. Now again, this is not natural in Paul's context. And in terms of the world we live in today, we're struggle busting it. Inside and outside of the church, we have lost or at least muzzled kindness. And I get, like as a parent, I, get, I feel like sometimes a hundred times a day, my response is, use kind words when you're talking to your sibling. Right? Use kind, like that, like, Let's talk with kindness. Let's talk so much so that I catch myself and I have to begin to wonder, maybe this is like, maybe some of this is they're watching me model towards them. Am I showing kindness towards them? Are they just modeling what they're seeing? Maybe sometimes, probably not all the time because they're sinners just like you and I. We are called to kindness. And living out kindness towards others, guess what? It includes those you disagree with or those that are even against you. Because guess what? You were once an enemy of God and yet, it says in Romans, is that it's kindness that what? It's God's kindness that led you to repentance. 
Next, he says, put on humility and meekness. Again, in Greek culture, there was really no descriptor for humility. It would never be used because guess what? Pride was the goal. Self-exaltation is the goal. And yet Paul calls us here, and we see, Jeremy read it earlier in Philippians, not to exalt self, but to seek to serve and care for others. In doing this, we are to be meek, which is not to be confused with weak. We're not to be doormats that are run over. No, meekness actually, I love the the descriptor, is that, that it is strength under control. That's what it means to be meek. It is to be level-headed, not hot-headed. And ultimately, it is to be humble and not prideful. And then lastly, we are to put on what? We are to put on patience. Which is a call to long-suffering no matter the circumstance. Like as I studied this, as I thought, like, man, do, like, do I need to say more about our need to be more patient? Like we need to learn to grow to be first, like more patient with like you need to be more patient with yourself. And we need others around us to say, hey, like have moments like, hey, let's tell me I was like, Kyle, I think you just need to be a little more patient with you. But also, like in that, as we're learning to be more patient and realizing the good news of the gospel in the midst of where we are, it leads to or should lead to us being more patient with others. And then also we need to be patient in circumstances. Trusting God in all of it. I think this really, like if you think about this, takes two forms. I mean, we need to be patient in our proclamation of the gospel to the lost. I remember when I was super zealous and, uh, you know, uh, probably a little pharisaical, I would share the gospel with somebody and if they didn't accept it immediately, I'd be like, Psh. like I didn't say it, but it was kind of that Turner Burn mentality. I'm done with you. No, we need to be patient in our proclamation, which means, again, walking with others and not surprised when they do uh, things that, uh, I mean, are broken and messy. But may we be patient. May we hold humility and peace and, and meekness. Maybe uh, share kindness and have a compassionate heart towards them. But also in discipleship, may we see it as a long process. And may we be a little more patient in the midst of it. And so we're seed to call, we're seed where we're called to put on virtuous living. Let's look now at the next call to put on what I would term as communal living, which is, uh, I mean, just engaging uh, and putting on what it means to be in the life of the church by reading verses 13 through 16. Paul goes on to say this, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you almost also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Alright, so in light of the virtues given above, Paul then moves his focus to how this calls us to live together as the people of God. Again, if we are chosen ones who have been set apart and are beloved, the reality is, is in Scripture, I mean, there are things like, if there's a personal connotation, but also it's always like, there's always a community connotation, right? 
The church is in focus here because guess what? We are part of the body. We don't separate ourselves from the body. Even as people would read these letters, like they would be read in the context of the church, listening to it and hearing it. And so what we see in Paul in doing this is he's calling us in light of the, the product of this love ethic, this, this loving God and loving others or loving our neighbor, we are to what really the New Testament jumps into a whole, whole lot, somewhere around 60 times, we are to one another, one another. And so we see some of those here first. That we are to put on this call to bear with one another. Now I want you to hear that correctly. It's not just simply to bear one another. Like some of you, like you, there's some of all of us, uh, sometimes we just bear people. We just stand them. But that's not what Paul calls us to. We are to bear with one another. You see, when you just bear another person, you stand with them in moments, but you seek to cast them aside at any opportunity. You see, bearing in light of God's grace towards us, because again, God bore our sin and continues to love us in the midst of what our proneness to wonder, that should move us to look, to bear with, or bear alongside one another. You see, this bearing is a mark of the patience we put on in the previous verse. Because we, again, are all in process. So may we be quick to bear, not judge, not complain about, not scoff at, not demean, and not leave behind. Next, we are to put on this posture of forgiving one another. You see, one reality of what it means to be a people that bear with one another is that we have to learn to be quick and ready to forgive one another. And that's, again, that's like holistic forgiving. And also, like you need to learn to forgive. You need to not just forgive your enemy. You need to learn to forgive your friend. And so may we be watchful so to not make those Christ calls friend an enemy due to our hearts of unforgiveness. Man, talk about a virtue for our day. Like in a world that calls us to hate those who disagree, don't believe, and to cancel and write off others. And again, guess what? Christians have cancel culture too. We are to be a people that are quick to seek forgiveness and give forgiveness. Because guess what? If we can't learn to forgive in the church, why should those we are called to proclaim forgiveness to believe the good news to be liberating good and actually forgiving of them? And the reason we do this is because, and what Paul says, it's because you've been forgiven in Christ. If He's forgiven you, you should then forgive others. And so I want to give you just a quick action step first. I want to tell you, I encourage you to spend some time thinking about all that you've been forgiven from. Just spend some time just saying, God, just reflect on all you've been forgiven from. All those mess-ups, you don't ever want to think, like just, just think on them. Don't sit in them, but remember, they're forgiven. And then as you do that, ask yourself, where are you or have you withheld forgiveness? Like when was the last time you went to another and asked, hey, I need forgiveness for this. I, I messed up. Or along with this, when's the last time you just gave forgiveness to somebody? 
And I'm not just talking about when someone comes to you, although we should do that. Man, I think there's something so freeing. Like, what does Jesus do on the cross? Like, he, he, he says, man, Father, forgive them. Are they asking for forgiveness in the moment? No. They're cursing His name. So, Father, forgive them. And I believe there's something so freeing about, man, when someone wrongs you, don't harbor it and hold on to it. Just say, God, I just forgive them. Let me not hold on to that. Let me love them. Let me show a compassionate heart. Let me serve them. Let me be patient with them. And then he says, above all, don't miss that, above all, put on love. Love, as one writer states, is the crowning grace that must be put on. Paul, in, in, in Corinthians, he makes a great point regarding our actions. He says, it doesn't matter what you say or how you live. If you have not love, you're really of no real use. Rather, we are to pursue. I love 1 Corinthians 14.1. The first two words are pursue love. Actively pursuing love. You see, it's the ethic of love that is marked and fulfilled in Christ's love for us that leads then to the understanding and empowerment of living a life, of putting on. You see, we put on love because of love. It is, Paul says, the binder of all that we do. We are to love God with all that we are and we are to love others, our neighbors. So how do we do that? Well, we do that by grace through Christ's finished work of love. You see, Jesus fulfilled both of those things perfectly. He perfectly loved God with all His heart, soul, mind, and strength, submitting Himself even to the point of death. But in doing so, He also, he, man, everyone, it's like he, he loved them. So He would give Himself up. And so, in light of that, go and love. In a world that projects and feeds off hate and false models of love, may we be a people of truth and love. May we begin with one another, first and foremost. We, again, just as we have to learn to forgive one another so that we can be a proclamation of the world around us is what it looks like to be a forgiving culture, and we also need to love one another in really practical ways. Like if you're a follower of Jesus in this room today, you should feel loved the most by the church. And so, man, for each of us, again, just another action step. What does it look like for you to love others in this room and how you talk to them and how you pray for them and how you serve them? Scripture says we are to outdo one another in honor, right? Like we are to seek, like, man, I want you to feel the most loved. And also with that, if you know people, would people in this room say that you're that kind of loving towards them? Would that be their say, man, they love me well. Finally, says as a church, let peace rule your heart. Not your peace, His peace. You see, as the church, we are not to get worked up like the world does when things are going awry. And man, look around, they're going, they're going awry. Rather, in faith and submission to the will of God, guess what? We can experience and live out the peace of God. Because of what Jesus has done, there is nothing ultimate on the table for the follower of Christ. There's nothing on the table that's ultimate. 
The penalty has been defeated. The death, the grave has been defeated. So how, again, how do we do this? Well, we turn to Jesus because what you turn to reveals what your heart is after. And then, and Paul uses this term three times in these verses. He, he says, "Stop!" And we, be, you need to be thankful. You want to combat? You want to combat anxiety? Be thankful. You want to combat these feelings of overwhelming? Like, be thankful. Take time. Break the pattern. I don't know if you know this about me, but I get in my own head a lot. Sometimes it can be a pretty dark place. And man, God has graced me with a faithful wife that one of the things she does is she constantly calls me to be thankful. Kyle, what can you be thankful for? What can you see? Like, when can you see the good? Because sometimes I just don't want to see it. Sometimes, like, I can't see it because it's just, man, I, I'm just, everything's going on crazy in here. Sometimes I don't want to see it because I kind of want to sit in my pity party. And she says, no, be thankful. And man, that thankfulness directs me to peace. Along with this, Paul says, we are to let the Word dwell in us, richly in us, so that we might proclaim and receive the Word. And then he talks about, man, really what we do in the gathering here, but man, this would be a lifestyle. right? The teaching, proclaiming, receiving, the seeing, the, the worship of God's people. So that we might proclaim and receive the Word, which again is not an earthly quick fix. We are to go to one another, not in our wisdom and everything, like I gotta figure it out, right? Like, and no, it's, and this is, let's go to the Word. What does God, what does God say about this? You see, the product of that again, it, it, Paul says, is thankfulness in your hearts towards God and others. I mean, we need to be more thankful. Like, take time, sit down, write out all the ways that you're thankful. Begin to reflect on, you know, Nathan told me the other day, he said, yeah, me and Paige just started doing this thing where we'll sit down and say, this is what we've seen God do. And what that does is it draws you to thankfulness, right? And don't just, don't just write it down. Like, learn to share that with people. This is what God's been doing. It's amazing. And so that leads to our last call, which is to put on purposeful living. And so let's read verse 17 to close out our time. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Alright, so in the closing this section, Paul states that in whatever we do, be it in word or in deed, we are to do in the name of Jesus. You see, the intent here is to see all of life as purposeful for gospel living and proclamation. And so we are to proclaim with our lives in word. Which is pretty self-explanatory. The good news of the gospel consists of words. And so if you're going to proclaim the gospel, guess what? You gotta use words. Hey, you know, again, one of those coffee cup, like bumper sticker verse things, phrases. It's not this one's not right, right? It says, you know, uh, you know, preach the good news. Use words when you have to. Sorry, it doesn't work. Like you have to preach the good news, right? You have to share it with words. Next, we're to proclaim it with our lives. Indeed, again, pretty straightforward. Not only are our words to proclaim the good news, but the fruit of the gospel is to affect the way we live our daily lives. We are to be marked by different living. Generous living, gracious living, peaceful living, kind living, compassionate living, patient living. And we're to do all of this not for self. Now, now I think sometimes people take this verse and they, they, they can kind of get a little bit off here. 
Because they'll take this verse and they'll say it's for God, but the excellence becomes the motivation for the projection of self under the banner of self. And so they live this life of, you better do it the best or it's not enough. That's not what the text is saying here. Should we do things with excellence? Yes. But the motivation is different. Paul's saying do it for the Lord. Again, the heart's in view. You see, the Pharisees look the best and yet they only proclaim self. We go do in light of what has been done. We give all of ourselves in word and deed because it proclaims uh, the hope of Christ who gave all of Himself in word and deed, deed to bring redemption to all of our lives that you could not bring life to, which is every single part. Therefore, we live for Christ because we, again, we are in Christ. All the while, giving thanks to God. Thankfulness is used three times because it's an important action. In verse 15, it literally tells us that you are to become faithful. It again shows that we are becoming that more and more. It's not natural to us. It's progressive, active, and we're growing in it. The word for thankful is um, eucharisteo, which is the word that we use for the word Eucharist. Which is another word to describe the Lord's Supper that we're going to take in just a moment. You see, the Lord's Supper is a time not simply to reflect on what Jesus has done. It's a time to give thanks. It's a time to become more thankful. And so I'm going to have the team come back up. And this is what we're going to do to close. In light of all we've been called to put on, I want you to take a moment to reflect. Take a moment to reflect. But this is what I want you to take a moment to reflect on. I want you to take a moment to reflect on what God has done in your life. Where you see the grace of God in your life. Maybe take a moment to remember all of your sin and yet that it's been forgiven. Just to take just yourself, whatever, just take time and say, God, let me reflect on the grace of you. And then, man, maybe pray a short prayer, God, I'm thankful for that. And then if you're a follower of Jesus, I want to give you the opportunity to come and I want you to just take the, the, take the cup. We just have cups today and the bread, and then go back to your seat. And what we're going to do is, and we've been talking about putting on this virtue of uh, communal living, we're going to share in communion together in light of that thanksgiving. We're going to be thankful together, okay? So I'm going to give you just a, just a moment or two. But as soon as you've kind of thanked God, if you'll get up, if you're, again, a follower of Jesus, we invite you to come. If you're not today, and we want to talk to you about that, but we believe that, man, this thanksgiving and remembrance is because of a costly price. And so we would, if you're not a follower of Jesus, we ask that you not share in this. But we would love to tell you about why we share in this. And what it looks like for you. But once you get the cup and the bread, go back to your seat. And then I'm going to lead us together in an act of thanksgiving as we share in communion together. Okay? I'm going to pray for us and then I'll give you a moment. Jesus, may we be thankful. May we exude these virtues. May we put on these things. Because we realize over and over again just how great and merciful You are. May we set our eyes on You. May we put off the old man. And Lord, I pray now as we said that we would be reminded of things we're thankful for. I see You move in the sun.